What if your past defines you? What if, take it one moment in time, what if that moment in time defines you? You know, as I drive around and I see different people that may be on the side of the road, I think I've said this before, like you wonder, like what, what was it? Was that at one decision? Was it 10 decisions maybe that got that person, uh, maybe that, that is homeless now, or maybe that person who is strung out on drugs? Like it was that one decision, was that a, a hundred decisions back to back in the wrong direction? But what if your past defined you? How many of you probably, if that were the case, you wouldn't be here today? I gotta be honest, I don't know. I don't know. As I look back, I had great parents who loved me. I grew up in a Christian home, phenomenal mom and dad who were always trying to recorrect me, whether that was with spanking, whether that was with a belt, whether that was with encouragement, whatever it was, but they were always doing their best to do that. But man, they can only do so much as they can in the time that they have me in their home, right? So if we're sitting there and we're looking at a defining moment, here's what a defining moment is, a point at which the essential nature or character of a person or a group is revealed or identified. Man, in those moments where you have had in your life that it just truly defined you and who you were going to be the course for your life, I hope that everyone in this room, you had that defining moment where you surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you have not, I promise you, Chris Casey, he will be in that back, to, uh, back table today. He would love nothing more than to help you with that. He shows up every Sunday and he stands back there and he prays that there would be one, if not more, people who would come and ask those great questions about coming to know the Lord because that is the greatest defining moment of your life. And if you're here today and you haven't done that yet, I want to tell you that that changes the whole trajectory of your whole life. Not just your life here on this planet, it changes your whole trajectory for eternity. It really does. Everything for eternity hinges on that. I've said it before, but uh, as a student, most people in my church thought that I was probably going to wind up in jail. That, that was in their life and some of the decisions that uh, I made in front of my student pastor at times, in front of uh, some of the other students that were there, some of our youth workers, there were some crazy ski trips, bad decisions made. My bet is, is that if I were to go back in time and to relive some of those moments and change those things for the better, probably a lot of those people would have a much different opinion of me maybe to this day. A lot of them haven't seen me in a lot of years um, but in that, um, if you're on that course and you're sitting there, you're wondering, man, I wonder what people even think about me, my decisions and all that kind of stuff. You don't have to live with that anymore. Like you can change that. The Lord can change that in you. As I began to think about this, this passage today and where we were at, I just kind of went back and thought through, if I, if I uh, was defined by a choice that I made in 10th grade, I'm, I might be a, an alcoholic today. It's the one time I ever chose to drink in my whole life. One time with my church friends, thought, okay, if one of us is going to get in trouble, all of us will. One of us got in trouble. <laughs> but if I was defined by that one night as a 10th grader, right, then, then it would be so easy to say, oh man, that's the course for his life. And, and so often we do that. We see a choice that someone makes and then we just almost begin to identify that person that way. Man, I had to tell my student pastor, uh, who then said, uh, he called me the next morning and said, hey, my mom was his secretary, and he said, hey, Ken, either you tell your mom or I will. I was like, oh, because I knew that that would then ruin the trust that I had built up, right? If I was defined by choice, I almost didn't even want to share this, but a choice that was almost made in fifth grade, a 
could have been addicted to sexuality, pornography, all kinds of stuff, fifth grade. And that one moment, like I could still, as, as a 52-year-old man, some people wonder about like the problem with, with pornography and all of that kind of stuff. It's just what it does to your mind and what it does to your, your heart and your soul. Like fifth grade, I could still walk into that room where there was almost this huge mistake that was made. Didn't know what I was walking into, but I can still see the wallpaper on the wall and that whole scenario. So you can't sit here today and say, man, that stuff doesn't really affect you that much. It does. You hold tight to all of those things because the memory is amazing. God gave you a great mind, a great capacity to be able to remember stuff. And so the things that you put in there, they really and truly matter. If I was defined by a decision that I, another decision that I made in high school, then I could, I could very easily get on that pattern of my life and be in jail today. Aren't you glad that you're not defined by your past? Aren't you glad that you're not defined by each one of those decisions? Some decisions that I made in college, man, I probably, if I would have stayed on the path of that decision, then I probably wouldn't be on this stage today. I'm so glad that God does not define us. I'm so glad that as a believer, what God sees when he sees me is he sees the blood of Christ that has covered me and he sees me as a child of God. He sees me as a follower, a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm not defined by my past anymore as a believer. But if you're here today and you have not had the blood of Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross cover you, then then you may still live in that moment. You, You may still be called by that. You may still be recognized in some scenarios and settings as that person, but you don't have to be today. Here's a great quote. When the past defines you by your choices made then, it robs you of your future and what God has for you now and next. The crazy thing is, is those things can easily trickle down into our family as well. And those things begin to bubble up inside of our family if God's not working those things out. The past is simply, I said this a couple of weeks ago, the culmination of all of the steps that you took, whether they are right or wrong, good or bad, for loss or gain, to get you here today. To get you right here in this moment, to be able to hear this message. And some of you think, I, mean, I, I just set my alarm last night. Some of you think, man, I just, I just got up today. Man, I just want you to know that God worked so many things out in our lives for every moment of your life to be able to be next in that moment, whatever that next moment is that he's calling you to. And so this on Sunday mornings, I believe it is one of the most important times each day, not because I teach you, but because the Lord gets the opportunity to invest in all of us together. We get to worship together, and we'll do that again here in just a few minutes. But if you're here today, and the past is defining you today, you feel like the past is still calling you louder than your future, you feel like those voices are louder than the Lord's in your life today, then it may be that you've never come to that place, and you've come under, submitted yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ then today you would say, hey, man, I'm ready to change that. I'm ready to see God do something brand new in my life. Man, last week we looked at Paul and his religion, and that was kind of the springboard. Paul could have very easily stayed in his prominent religious state. He could have stayed looking down his nose at all of the people that did not have all of the knowledge that he had religiously. Like, Like he had the resume, right? Some of you are in here and you've got that resume. That resume says, hey, I have worked hard to be able to look down at other people. It's not a great place to be, right? 
Like we're all in this together and we need to help and encourage. And Paul had that moment, that blinding moment where he encountered Jesus Christ and Jesus changed him from the inside out. And that's where it's got to happen. There's got to be a change inside of us, mind and heart together to say, man, I'm ready to give everything that I've got from here on to Jesus Christ. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus. We're going to be there today. If you're a, a guest with us and you have, um, you have the Version Bible app on there, you can go on there and then hit more, hit events, and then the notes will be in there. But we're going to be in Exodus today. And um, as we talk about this great story, man, I, I, it's probably one of those that you, you've known and you've read for so many years. And so I hope it's not like yawn through this. I've heard this before. But I hope you see it in a whole new perspective that this is a great comeback story. And, and once you put all of those pieces together. So Exodus Chapter 1, verse 22 says this, Then Pharaoh commanded all of his people, all of them, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall, not let, but you shall let every daughter live. Man, if you know this story, then, then from that moment then enters Moses. Everybody, we're going to sing that song, uh, Exodus, today. I don't know if you love that song. I love that song because there's so much tied into this story. And Michael's like, man, that, that'll fit in great. But, but what you need to know, point number one this morning, rough starts don't have to end rough. Like maybe you're here today and you had one of the roughest starts growing up. Maybe, hey, maybe you would say, man, my, my parents split up when I was young. Uh, man, I, I, I chose this route and not this route. Man, all of that... All of us could stand on this stage. We could parade everybody through, and we could all share our stories. I love your stories, but you do not have to be defined by that rough start, okay? You don't have to. I would say uh, that Moses could have had a pretty rough start. There were a lot of others that didn't get the same, uh, the same opportunity that Moses did. So look at it. Now go to Exodus 2, starting in uh, verse 1 and going through 15. Then you see this, Moses enters uh, the picture. He was born during a very tumultuous time at three months old. Three months old, his mom put him in the river. So the fact at this point in time that he's made it three months, it's already a miracle. God's got a plan and a purpose for his life. Mom puts him into the river to escape death. And then Pharaoh's daughter, dun, 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 Pharaoh's daughter finds him in this basket, floating, right, seeing this whole thing. Beautiful picture. Pharaoh's daughter finds him, takes pity on him. Then we keep going through. Moses' sister's watching, and she's watching, and then she, um, when, and when he was found, when Moses was found, asked if she could go and get someone to help nurse him. Who does she go and get? Anybody? Thank you. Bible trivia time. He gets, she, so she goes and gets mom. So look at God inside of that whole scenario. Mom puts baby in. Baby starts trekking down. Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby. Pharaoh's daughter can't do what she needs to do for the baby. So then the sister says, hey, would you like for me to get? I'll go and get mom. She doesn't say I'm going to go and get mom, but she goes and gets someone who can then feed Moses. Beautiful picture. 15 verses right there that span 40 years of Moses' life. 40 years inside of all that defined by God's hand and God's success in life. And at the end of those 40 years, here's what happens. He then kills an Egyptian in anger and flees from Pharaoh. Why? Because he sees how that person is treating his people, his heritage, his people. Uh, look at Exodus 2.15. When Pharaoh heard of this, 
he sought to kill Moses. Had all of the favor in the world, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. I don't know what happens when your life turns away. I don't know if you go sit by the well. I don't know if you have pity party on the back deck. I don't know what your vice is during that time. This one, he sat down by a well. And so um, I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where you just, while you were in it, you were like, this is the weirdest situation. We had a kid who showed up when I was student pastor. Had a kid, I may have shared this story with you, who showed up, name was Matthew, been chased by uh, the law for a long time. He'd been living under bridge, under bridge, 183, 183, all of those different bridges, all the while just running from the law because he had committed a crime and he had to, he was, he really had, uh, he had a, a warrant out for his arrest. And so, man, he showed up that Wednesday night, he was angry, he was mad, frustrated, all of the above. He was all of those things. And so, just talked to him. I just said, hey, man, how can we help you? Like, I feel like you're carrying a chip on your shoulder. Every time he saw our police officer, man, he would kind of tuck away and walk away. And I was like, so let's, let's talk through that. Come to find out he had, uh, he had a warrant out for his arrest. Come to find out he had um, jail time that he had to sit out or whatever. So the whole time he's just sitting there thinking he's going to get caught, going to get caught, going to get caught. So he's living with this grudge. He's living with a chip on his shoulder, all of these things running from the law. And I just said, man, how long would you have to sit out to get over the anger, to get over the looking over your shoulder? And he said, it's probably about 90 days. And I said, I said, 90 days. I said, think about it. You're not living under a bridge. You get three square meals a day. There's probably a chaplain there who can pick up where I leave off and talking to you about Christ in your life. Like, like then after 90 days, you don't have to live looking over your shoulder, wondering if somebody's following you. Guys, I don't, the Holy Spirit, I've never talked anybody into going to jail before or since Matthew. I don't know where Matthew is to this day. I really don't. But I knew in that moment, it was the Lord saying, hey, if you let your past continue to haunt you, man, you will run from it. Some of us are doing that maybe right now. Maybe you've got uh, family members. But if you let your past dictate every step from here on, man, you're looking over your shoulder and those things are chasing you. So here's what you can do uh, with the anger. So obviously, obviously Moses is mad and he goes and in his anger, he has now murdered someone. Okay, now he's taking the life. And so in that anger, here's what you can do. You can run from it. It's always gonna chase you. Anger, all of those things, sins of the past, all of those things, like they love you enough to continue to chase you down. They, they will. And when they find you, man, they would love to do nothing but to beat you up and to tell you how bad of a person you are. You can run from it. You can hide from it. You can try. And it's crazy how, um, how when you hide from it, it's crazy how anger always finds you because there's going to be something else to make you mad. Unless the Lord has your heart, unless there's something that's changing you from the inside out, unless there becomes something that changes and now there's this good fruit, the fruit of the Spirit that's in your life, unless there's fruit that begins to, to, to take seed in your life and then comes from that, man, those things are always going to, you can try to control it. Good try. Like if it's always you trying to suppress it, trying to hold it down, man, you're always going to lose that battle. It could control you. Anger usually does. Anger usually has its way with you. Or you could let God control it. And you could let God speak to you about it. And then you could even allow God to use it, those stories of your past to help those who are struggling with it. And to say, hey man, when I quit chasing uh, those things, when I quit 
running from those things, and I stopped dead in my tracks, and I said, God, I can't do this without you. It's amazing what God does in those moments. Running from your past always leaves you looking over your shoulder to see if it's still there. And if it's anger and bitterness, it's going to find you. It's going to find you. If it's something that, that's triggered easily by, uh, by anger, by frustration, or that pressure of whatever it is that's going on in your world, man, the pressure of this world is all around us. So you're always going to have those things pushing your buttons, those things that are tugging at your heart. You're always going to have those. So, man, why not allow the Lord to have control over those things in your life? Anger is a big deal in Scripture. Here's how many times the word anger is used. 269 times in Scripture. My bet is, is that in all of those, I haven't done the full study of all of those different times that it's used, but my bet is, is all 269 times, maybe like Moses, that anger is then followed with something else that's even worse. So it's always the seed. It's always the enticement. It's always the, the first step maybe to something worse in your life. So if you're here today, you're hot-headed, you're ready for a fight. Facebook, maybe. Instagram, maybe. It becomes your social outlet for your anger. And you're not doing yourself. You're not doing anybody else any favors either. Do the people know way more that follow you how mad you are about stuff than about Jesus in your life? Like, do you quote more political statements is your goal to make people more angry or mad than it is to show them that Jesus can change that anger, frustration? Now you're, now you're meddling, Kent. James 1.19, look at this, says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So this tells us how to be. It says to be quick. Man, our, we're quick to fight at times, right? Like growing up, me and my brother, we would get into that, like just crossing the middle section of the back seat in the car, right? If he even put his hand on my side, I'm like, you better move your hand. Like we look for the smallest of things, right? Instead of, instead of looking for ways to encourage, for ways to, to uh, blow people up. And, and, and man, we look for so many times. We looked, we're so quick not to listen, but to say our peace. Not our P-E-A-C-E, but our P-I-E-C-E of whatever it is that's on our minds. Quick to listen well. You've got two ears and one mouth. You should listen twice as much as you speak. And I can't tell you how that, that helped me early on to, to fix things in my marriage. When I had one way of thinking something needed to happen, Brooke had her way. Man, we're both babies, right? I said that when we were doing our series. Like babies, they say we shouldn't have married each other. 25 years, I'm like, ha ha, God does what God wants to do. But here's the deal. When I chose to listen before I spoke, it changed everything. It changed everything. It's great how God does that because if he writes this scripture, tells, tells James to write this out, then he says, hey, there's power behind it, right? So, so you gotta be slow to speak. Like, you know, sometimes you wanna tell kids to shush. Sometimes you need to do this to yourself. Before your mouth opens up to say, you just... Maybe you need to count to three. Some of you, maybe you need to count for 
30 minutes, I don't know. But however your gasket is that's about ready to pop, that's about how long you need to make for sure that you don't. Maybe you need to take a walk and take a block, take a mile before you say something that you know it's going to take maybe days Maybe even weeks to fix. Anger has a way of messing all those things up. Slow to anger. Anger never turns out the way you want it to. Never does. Even when you have a righteous indignation about somebody, more times than not, that doesn't wind up going well for you. More times than not. But you also have to be decisive. Put away those things that anger feeds. Man, if you know that that you're an, an angry drunk, then maybe you've got to put the alcohol away, right? Whatever it is that feeds that. Some of you are like, oh, great. Now we're talking about alcohol. Now I'm just talking about the things that feed your anger. Man, if those things happen on the regular, you've got to ask the Lord to step in. Anger, anger is one of those things that in your past can continue to creep in presently and for the rest of your future. Point number two, if God's not done, ruin can turn to rescue. That's great news, right? If God's not done, then the ruin that you feel like, the rubble of your life, then all of those things can turn to rescue. Look in Exodus 2, 23. During those days, uh, those many days, the king of Egypt died. So in those 40 years, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Can I tell you today, whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever it is that you're facing, marital issues, um, man, a diagnosis, uh, a choice about job, career, retirement, whatever it is, God knows. If you've been voicing those things, even before you've been voicing those things, God knows what's going on in your life. And he knows exactly how he's wired you. He knows everything that's going on here and here. He knows everything that's going on here. And he is working out all of those things for believers. He's working it out for his glory and for your good. But man, we want some of the impatient people raise your hand. Let's see. That was so fast, Kevin. It was like, Like, I'm with you in that. Like so many times we want to take matters in our own hand. So many times we want to make for sure that this is going to happen when that may not be what needs to happen. Patience has to play a part in this. And so John mentions a time in his life, uh, John writing this book, where anger and bitterness and all those things left him looking in desperation, sitting inside of his car for a place to aim his car and end his life. Man, this, his book and in writing these stories, like John, to me, John Metter has one of the greatest comeback stories of ever. Like, like by age five, being almost 95% deaf, as I think is what it was. But now, all of these years later, teaching, leading, all of those things, great comeback story. Could have very easily have used all of that for, for being angry and bitter and all those things, but now uses it. But here's a quote that he says uh, in talking about that. It says, people often pay a high price for what they have said and done in angry moments. Can you go back and think through an angry moment where you said something, where you did something, and you're like, oh, man, I wish I could get that back. Man, I wish, I wish they never knew that I had said that. I wish they never knew that I did that. And, and, and in that moment, then you could decide today, man, I, will nev- I want to never have that happen again. 
I want to never be in that situation. What price are you still paying for something you said or something that you did in your past? What price are you still paying? Maybe mentally, uh, spiritually, you're still paying that. Every time that you come in and you take the Lord's Supper, there's that thing that the enemy would love for you to remember so that you might not commune with the Lord that day. When you're standing there and you're trying to worship, what is that thing that you're still getting beat up over, over by yourself or by the enemy so that you don't take your next step? I mean, give it over. Like today, draw a line in the sand and say, I'm not going there anymore. I'm not living in my past. I'm ready for what God has next. Man, there are others who struggle with their past decisions. And we've talked about Adam and Eve most recently. Abraham and Sarah, man, they laughed at God's promise while they were uh, doubting that they would ever have a child. David and Bathsheba, man, left him trying to hide his sin by killing her husband. Jonah disregarded God's call and found himself inside the belly of a giant fish. Paul from last week, all of these people could have very easily said, I'm done, but God used them in a great way. And he's telling us now, all of these years later, their story of where it could have gone wrong, it could have gone bad, and they could have never followed God again, but they didn't. They jumped back in and they said yes. Back to Moses, 40 more years, same chapter, last eight verses, 40 years of forgetting where he came from, forgetting who God was, and now God has saved, and how God saved him, forgetting what God had promised. The whole time, Israel is still suffering in Egypt, this whole time. And instead of turning back, instead of in all of those years, still reeling from all of those things. God knew both sides of this. He sees all and he knows all. God didn't forget where his people were and God did not forget where he was either. God hasn't forgotten where you're at. God hasn't forgotten what you're struggling with. And if you can trust God, here's what I pray a lot lot of times when I'm praying for somebody, that if we can trust God, if we can trust what Jesus did for us on the cross, if we can trust that there was an empty tomb, then surely we can trust God to be big enough in your moments and my moments. If we can trust him for our eternity, surely we can trust him for these steps here, right? Right? God meets us right where we are, and he knows just what we need. Here's another great quote. New seasons of life begin with new encounters with God. Today, do you need a fresh encounter with the Lord? What do you do? What do you start tomorrow that you haven't done recently? And can I I read this daily devotion or whatever? Okay, cool. That's somebody else's words about God's word. Maybe you start reading God's word for yourself. I'm not saying to do that. I'm just saying, what do you do next if that hasn't started to work and grab hold in your life? Then what is it in your next step that you're going to do so that you get this new life when you begin these new encounters with the Lord? Most likely Moses hadn't heard from God and maybe hadn't spoken to God in 40 years because he thought God was done probably. If you're here today, man, you're on the right course. God's not done with you. And you came to a place where you felt like, man, I'm gonna be encouraged. I get to worship. My kids are gonna be encouraged inside of that gym. And somehow in all of this, God, would you use me to be able to lead my family again, to be able to love my wife again, to be able to love my husband again, to all of us be on the same page together. Point number three, your rescue begins with remembering. You remember where you were when you got saved? You remember that day, that moment, that time? Maybe you were at camp. Maybe it was you were a child and you were at a VBS setting. Maybe you were at an old school revival back in the I don't know where it was that you got saved. 
And God has not left you. From that moment, he has never left you. You may have stepped away. You may have gone a different direction. And some people, man, I just had to go and find God again. You didn't have to go far because he was right there the whole time. He's right there. And all it takes for you and I in that moment where we really and truly recognize that we were wrong, man, if you do this and if you take that time to stop where you were going, the direction you were headed, and you take that time to repent, and repent is a turn. When I turn back to the Lord, as soon as I turn back to him, man, it's not 10 miles back to where you thought you left him. He's right there. He's right there and he is waiting. Rescue begins with remembering. What if God is waiting on you today to be rescued so that you can then go and help rescue someone else? Beautiful thing to be reminded of who he is. I told uh, Michael and, and others, I told all of our deacons last Sunday how we did the Lord's Supper. Never done it that way before. I never, as old as I get, I never want to be that person in church to say, well, you never done it that way before. Like, I don't want to be that person and let that be what stops us from doing what's next. But last Sunday, as I came uh, off the stage and we were doing the Lord's Supper during those last songs, and I came over um, and I grabbed the bread and I grabbed the, the juice, the cup, and I came right here and I had a moment right here with the Lord. And I'm telling you, I have not had a moment like that inside of the Lord's Supper like I had last week. It wasn't me trying to lead all of you to do it. It was me and God personally. And that song, Homecoming, man, I'm in tears, moved, because once again, I was able to remember what God has done, how he helped me through, the duff, through some of the darkest, toughest times of my life. And it's almost like he gave me a picture of mom and dad in heaven. And I don't know if you've lost somebody. Like, like I got to talk to a kid at Kids Beach Club this week who had lost someone. And it was just such a sweet time to be able to talk. But God gave me that moment to be able to help that kid at Kids Beach Club this past week. But to be able to remember him. Don't get so busy in life that you forget. Don't be so busy in all of these moments that you forget that moment. Well, you had that incredible encounter with the Lord. Now look at Exodus chapter three. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law. All of these years later, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and the flock, and, and he, um, he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. You know this scene in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Only God can do that. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why? The bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Notice a few things here. Moses is minding his own business. He's doing his life. He's going about his own way. And then God used a supernatural event to call his attention back to God. And what if God didn't have to use a supernatural event, but he could use a time alone with him every day just to be able to recoup that time, to be able to rekindle that fire, to be able to spend those moments 
to be able to daily remember him? What if you changed the station in your, in your car and you actually put it on some Christian music and you were able to worship on your commute? Like what if you turned on, uh, a, on Spotify and you began to listen to uh, another preacher, pastor, whatever, and you got encouraged in the word? What if you turned all of that off and you just spent the time in your commute to pray and to talk to God? Then that moment could become very supernatural. Moses' curiosity was God's open door to his call. What are you curious about with the Lord today? What's he calling you to? Look in verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and all the other sites. And now behold the cry of the people of Israel. It has come to me, and I have also seen the uh, the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you where you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. If you look again at where Moses was, he was alone. He was listening He was ready, and he took that stature of humility. He took a stature in his own life, a posture, if you would, of humility. Four great places to be found, to be found alone with the Lord, to be found listening to the Lord, to be found ready, and then to be found humble. With your yes on the table, there's no stopping what God might be able to do. Here's one other quote that was in John's book. An absence of pride places him, Moses, in the best possible position to clearly hear and to clearly obey God as a humble man. Moses has no solutions on his own. He has no plans to pursue. God is looking for just that kind of person. Humility looks good on all of us. Amen? And it especially looks good to God who never fails to pour out his grace to us when we need him most. And are you looking for a burning bush moment today? You're about to have it. You're about to have a time of worship. You could have that burning bush moment tomorrow morning when you wake up 30 minutes early and open up scripture. You could have that burning bush moment, a supernatural time between you and the Lord. What is supernatural about that, Ken? Opening up scripture, that this thing has been tried to uh, true and tested for all of these years. And it still speaks to us all of these years later. The story of Moses, one of the greatest biblical leadership characters of all times, that God spoke to him just when he thought he was done with him. Beautiful picture. Look at verse 13, then I'm done. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Moses gets one more clarification on his call. I am. Who are you looking for? What great piece of advice, what great person are you seeking in your life that could give you more than what God can give you for your next step? 